the Commonwealth Club of California congratulates the class of 2021. We know how much you want to stay connected with the issues and influencers that matter most. That's why we're offering all high school and college graduates in the class of 2021 a free one-year membership in the club. From politics to social justice, climate to pop culture, membership in the Commonwealth Club opens up new worlds of learning and the chance to interact in person and online with today's headline makers and people like yourselves who care about what's going on in the world. Claim your free membership at commonwealthclub.org slash grads. And join us. We look forward to welcoming you to the club. Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. All right. Good afternoon and uh, welcome everybody to today's program at the Commonwealth Club. My name is David Cohn. I'm a senior director at Advanced Local and co-founder of Subtext, which connects reporters and readers. I have spent a large part of my professional life at the intersection of technology and news, so I'm very pleased and honored today to moderate today's important program about uh, nonprofit, local news efforts, um, civic journalism, and the future of democracy. I'm particularly pleased that today's Discussion represents one of the Commonwealth Club's first hybrid virtual panels or programs since uh, the club reopened earlier this month. Um, So what does that mean? Um, Again, it means that uh, two things. First, we have a live audience here in San Francisco. Thank you all for coming. Um, And viewers around the country are watching via YouTube and Zoom. Um, Second, it means we have a guest here on stage, Lance Noble, the CEO of Cityside, uh, and two guests uh, joining us virtually, Wendy Thomas, the editor and publisher of MLK50, Justice Through Journalism, and John Thornton, the founder of the Texas Tribune and the co-founder of the American Journalism Project. Lance, Wendy, and John, uh, I am pleased to welcome you to the Commonwealth Club. Before we jump in, a quick reminder about audience questions. If you are live, please fill out uh, question cards. Uh, They will be handed to me uh, throughout the program. And for those of you watching on YouTube or online, um, you can post your questions um, in the chat area, and those questions will also be forwarded to me during the program. To start, I'm hoping that the three of you can each, in your own words, tell us the work that you focus on and how you're filling an unmet need in our information ecosystems. Um, I'm going to start with Lance, because you're here both in person and also uh, you know, here in the Bay Area. So Lance, tell us a little bit more about what you do and, and, and the role that it fills. Thanks, Dave. Um- I run Cityside, which is the nonprofit that publishes both Berkeley Side and Oakland Side. Um, Berkeley Side has been around for 12 years now. Oakland Side is just a little bit more than a year old. We focus on local news in the cities that we cover. And you know, when you ask about what's the information need we fill um, in both cities, we filled what was really a void of coverage. Um, you know, a year ago before Oakland Side launched, for example, you know, no one in terms of no journalist went to Oakland school board meetings. Now, 
Um, Ashley, our education reporter on the Oakland side, you know, covers every school board meeting. She's writing about what's happening. Um, you know, we cover, uh, obviously, city council meetings. We cover what's happening in development. We cover, you know, key issues in terms of the inequities that exist in the city. Um, there's no end of stories. I mean, the challenge for us is not what gaps are there, but, you know, how with what's still a pretty small newsroom in both Oakland side and Berkeley side, how do we cover the enormous number of stories that exist? Excellent. Wendy, um, I'm hoping you can follow up and tell us a little bit more about uh, the MLK 50 project. Absolutely. Thank you for this opportunity. I really appreciate it. Um, So MLK 50 Justice Through Journalism is a nonprofit newsroom. It's based in Memphis, Tennessee, where I grew up. Um, And the the void that we fill um, is for substantive, sustained coverage of the people that Dr. King would be aligned with were he still alive. Uh, MLK 50 was born in the lead up to the 50th anniversary of Dr. King's assassination. And we really wanted to force people to confront what the city had done with his sacrifice as it related to the reason that brought him to Memphis, which was to support underpaid, mistreated, um, striking black sanitation workers. Um, And so we like to say that we are aligned with the people that Dr. King would be aligned with where he's still alive, which are people who are marginalized for any reason, whether it's economic, race, gender identity, uh, sexual orientation, any of those, immigration status, um, those are the people that we focus on. And our mission is twofold. One is to bear witness to movement making here in Memphis and also to report on the intersection of poverty, power, and policy. Excellent. Thank you. And, and John, um, you can tell us uh, both a little bit about uh, the Texas Tribune, which I know you're one of the founders of, but also, of course, what you're, I think, focusing more on now, you, you, can, you can tell us, but uh, the American Journalism Project. Sure. Um, and thanks for having me as well. Uh, founded the Texas Tribune in 2008, and it, um, it has been one of the uh, great joys of, of my life. Founded American Journalism Project together with Elizabeth Green in 2017, and we're basically a venture capital firm that makes investments in outfits like uh, Wendy's and Lance's. And uh, so I'm, I definitely want to get into it and ask a bunch, you know, you all a bunch of questions. But and by the way, I'm also hoping that you can all engage with each other. Um, if I end up fading into the background, I'm more than happy to, to play the role of Ringo Starr here. Um, but you know, my my first question is, you know, and a lot of people in the audience probably have a sense of what's been happening in the journalism and media industry um, in that it's, you know, had all kinds of problems and declines and things like that. But they might not be totally aware of exactly the role that nonprofit has been playing, um, nonprofit news organizations have been playing in their local role. Now, exactly what shift do you think has been happening that nonprofits have been rising up? What are, what are the forces at play here that are, um, that are both, um, again, either hurting what we might call traditional media, but also um, empowering you all to sort of try and respond to that call? Um, it's, I would say it's an, it's an open question to, if anybody wants to jump in. I'm happy to jump in. Um, the key dynamic is the traditional um, way that news, and particularly local news, was funded um, has vanished. Um, the advertising revenue that supported local newspapers, um, subscribers that supported local newspapers, um, in all but a handful of cases, that support just isn't there. And you can see that in the traditional um, newspaper world and even the newspapers that have made a fairly successful transition to the digital world. Um, 
the excess profits that they once made, made that made it a really good thing to own a newspaper, um, they vanished. And so many, many local newspapers now are owned by um, hedge funds, by financially motivated investors who are actually getting profits out of these newspapers. So they're getting profits by slashing newsroom numbers, by keeping subscription prices high, and there's a lot of uh, inertia um, you know, particularly elderly people always have subscribed to their local newspaper. And until they die off, they're going to continue subscribing to their local newspaper. So, you know, organizations like Alden Capital are making great money um, off the newspapers they own, but there's very little journalism. So there's a real crisis. And when you have a situation like that, um, that's partly why nonprofits exist. They, they're, they're providing a, a solution. They're, they're providing... Um, the resources, they're providing the things that we need in terms of public goods that aren't provided by a simple market solution. It makes a lot of sense. Although it begs a question, and um, maybe I'll, I'll pose this to Wendy, because the nonprofit newsrooms that are now, ha- I don't want to say starting from scratch, but have a little bit more of a clean slate, right? How can we be intentional, right, about making sure that these newsrooms aren't just replicas of the old, right? What, what is different? What, can we, what, what are you doing different or what should be done differently about the, the rise of these new nonprofit local news organizations? I think it's an excellent question. Um, you know, I'm a veteran of four daily newspaper newsrooms and been in the business for 28 years. And so a lot of the changes that Lance describes, I've, I've lived through the, the heady days where, uh, Newspaper companies were making money hand over fist, it seemed, um, and then moving into the, the much uh, leaner days. And I think what nonprofit news has given us is an opportunity to reimagine uh, newsrooms and make them how we wished they had, uh, had been when we were there. Um, that can be everything from the racial diversity of the leadership of the, of the newsroom um, to the, the business practices, um, being more humane <laughs> than maybe some traditional uh, legacy newsrooms have been. Um, and so it's really, a, it's a real opportunity to, uh, to start fresh and say, okay, if we were building something from scratch, what would we do? What would we stop doing? Um, I know with, uh, with my team, there are some things we just don't cover, right? Because we're really focused on uh, what we can do well and what um, only we will do. I always tell my team, you know, what are the stories that only MLK 50 would write? And that's what we go after. Um, but I think there, it is a challenge, um, and I'm grateful to funders like AJP and others who uh, are committed to making sure that the um, newsrooms that are getting uh, venture capital-style kind of funds and investments um, are do look like the majority of America. But I think if you're not intentional about that, things are will just be the way they've always uh, been. And we see where capital flows traditionally in America, and it's to cis, hetero, college-educated, upper-middle-class white men. Um, And this is an opportunity to do things differently. And I know Lance can talk about uh, the leadership they have out there, um, thinking particularly of my friend Tasneem. Yeah, both Oakland side and Berkeley side, their editor-in-chiefs are women of color. Um, We have very diverse newsroom. Um, You know, that's been a priority for us. We want our newsrooms to look like the communities we cover. Um, And that's, you know, that's really the only way we're going to reflect the experiences of the city, of the people we're reporting for and on. 
that, that's an absolute essential. Um, John, I, I don't know if you want to comment on, on that, but um, I, I, I specifically more from maybe a macro perspective, right? Because, I mean, what you're working on right now, you kind of have a view into a lot of different organizations across the country. Um, I'd be curious to, to know if, like, what you're observing as they kind of rise up and, and what are some sort of the foundational principles and, again, where those principles and practices might be different from the, you know, traditional organization that w- preceded them. Well, just to sort of tack on to uh, the discussion that my two colleagues just had, diversity is not a very good media strategy, as it turns out, in the very near term. Inclusion is not a good media strategy in the near term. Accessibility is not a good media strategy in the near term because it it has the uh, presupposition that these things need to be commercially viable as opposed to economically sustainable. And so what, what we put out um, from the beginning at AJP is that you have news organizations need to have co-equal values of commercial viability, uh, accessibility and public service. That's just not doable in the commercial model. Uh, And, and so what, what the three of us have been after for a while is trying to square how important, how interdependent journalism and democracy are on one another with the fact that 150 years ago, we made kind of a sucker bet uh, as, as, as a country to uh, put all of our sort of chips, if you will, behind advertising as the source of support for uh, journalism. That's a, I've never heard it put as a sucker's bet, but, <laughs> but, but that's an interesting way of putting it. Um, and, cause, and you use this phrase, and I, I, I might not get it perfectly here, but again, you know, the, the interrelationship between journalism and democracy, and I think a lot of the times we think of that at the federal level, at a very macro level. I'm, I'd be interested to hear about, again, within your organizations or the organizations that you're observing, what is the role between a nonprofit news organization and the local democracy and the local civics? I mean, can you tell us a little bit about exactly what it is that, that you see yourselves as doing um, in that specific role? Well, Wendy's work has been so inspiring in this regard. So I, I'd, I'd love to hear from her in terms of some of the work MLK 50 has done um, in accountability and investigative journalism in Memphis is really extraordinary. So I think that's almost the best case study for what this means. That's, that's teeing me up. <laughs> um, are, are you thinking about the hospital work? Okay. So, um, you know, I want to, I want to bring into the space um, some words by uh, one of my heroes, Ida B. Wells, who was a um, anti-lynching crusader and also an investigative journalist. And she said that the people must know before they can act and there is no educator to compare to the press. Um, and so I think that that connection between democracy and journalism is is absolutely essential. Um, and it's one of those things where I feel like, you know, you, you'll miss me when I'm gone. Um, and I think the challenge of nonprofit news is to uh, it's to not uh, it's encourage people to recognize the value now and not wait until we've all disappeared. Um, the, re, uh, the project that um, Lance is referring to, we did in conjunction with ProPublica, which is an investigative n- nonprofit newsroom. 
out of New York. And um, I spent a year uh, looking into the um, debt collection practices of a nonprofit hospital here. Um, weeks and weeks in court telling the story of people, mostly black women who were being sued by this nonprofit hospital, um, including the hospital's own employees. So I'm going to court and I'm seeing women sitting there uh, waiting for their turn in front of the judge wearing the hospital's uniforms. Um, and so this was a story that was kind of hiding in plain sight, right? Just going on there, right in General Sessions Court. But if you weren't uh, being sued, you'd have no reason to know. And the only, um, the only faults of these people um, was that they were poor and sick at the same time. And so we wrote this investigation. It published um, the hospital was shame. Shame, as it turns out, is a very powerful motiv motivator for institutions. Um, and they ended up overhauling their uh, financial assistance policies to be twice as generous as they were before. Um, they decided they were no longer going to sue their own employees at all. Um, and they ended up erasing the debt um, for more than 5,300 defendants to the tune of $12 million. And so I think that's, a, I think it's a good, there are examples of like that in lots of nonprofit newsrooms around the country. So I don't want to make it at all appear that we're unique in that way. But to me, that speaks to the power of, of journalism and the worth of this investment, right? You couldn't, it's hard to say, okay, we'll invest $200,000 in this newsroom and we expect a return of $400,000. But what we've been able to do with the support of AJP and others um, is change policy. So now there are thousands of people in Memphis who will never be sued because of what the work that we were able to do. Um, and I don't even know how you calculate that level of impact, but I think it's the kind of work that all of us aspire to be able to do to make a me measurable, tangible difference in our communities. And I'm lucky enough to have been able to have the opportunity to do that. And, you know, th there's a lot of actually pretty good social science research on not so much on what does local journalism do it's what the absence of local journalism creates. And in the absence, you have lower voting rates. You, cities pay higher bond rates when there's a lack of local journalism because of the lack of that kind of accountability journalism that keeps people honest and efficient. Um, you have lower social co cohesion. There are all sorts of consequences from the absence of local journalism. And you know, that's why you know, all of us that are involved in this really feel this enormous calling that this really matters, that you know, local journalism isn't a nice thing to have, that every community, every city needs healthy local journalism. I think that's a really good point. I mean, it's sort of like the watchdog doesn't necessarily have to catch somebody um, just as long as they scare them away. Um, and also, Wendy, to your story, uh, you know, there are that affected real people. I think it's really easy to, I mean, you know, you said, I think 5,300, right? And there, that sounds like a big number and it's easy to gloss over, but those are 5,300 people, individuals who their lives were materially uh, changed by the work uh, that you did. Um, so one, one question I, I think, you know, you kind of have to ask in, at any, and in, in maybe in any discussion now is, um, you know, COVID uh, and, and how the last year has changed the situation for local nonprofits um, in particular, um, what are the challenges or opportunities um, that have started to bubble up in, let's say, the last uh, 12 to 18 months? Um, maybe, maybe, John, do you want to try and sure. respond to that? Well, I mean, I, I think for, for us as a funder, um, what, what COVID did was 
just kind of brighten the light on what it, we already knew, which was the uh, inequality of accessibility to pretty much damn near anything, right? So whether it's affordable housing, clean air, clean water, education, um, you know, uh, uh, capital to run a business, it, it just really showed us that um, the, the, the crisis of inequality, which gets mumbled about, is really, really the central crisis. And so um, what, what I think this period affords us the, the opportunity to do is think about local news institutions as civic assets, not commercial businesses. Think about them as community uh, uh, cartilage, if you will, or ligaments, not a shoe store, uh, which is what newspapers have essentially been sorry, uh, as a business for 150 years. So um, it's, it is, it's been really, really difficult for anybody running a newsroom, but um, it's, it's also an opportunity to, to, to rethink how we think about uh, these organizations and what they mean to their communities. You know, I think what we saw on both Berkeley side and Oakland side and, you know, speaking to my colleagues around the country um, what the pandemic did was made people incredibly aware of how important local information was to them. Um, you know, during the height of the pandemic, this was about, you know, changes in, you know, health recommendations. It was about, you know, what's happening in the community in terms of prevalence levels of, um, you know, positivity. Um, and, you know, more recently, um, you think earlier this year when availability of vaccines was really something that people were worried about, people didn't have the information they needed. There was an enormous desire not just to know, oh, there's a national rollout of these vaccines, but in my community, in my neighborhood, in my you know, zip code, where can I get a vaccine? And you know, that's the kind of work that we do and that other local journalists do. Um, we're getting a bunch of questions from uh, the online audience and the in-person audience. Um, so I'm just going to start uh, going for these. Um, and this is, I see a few questions around this. Um, is there sufficient philanthropic capital to essentially scale the number of local news organizations that we need? I know a year and a half ago, John, you told me that the amount of philanthropy devoted to journalism was less than the amount devoted to ballet in the U.S. I don't know if that's still the case, but you, you'll have the latest data. Well, yeah, unless the ballet has shrunk considerably, you're still right. And so that, that, that's been our shtick for, um, you know, going on a dozen years is, no, there is not enough philanthropic capital today to do what needs to be done. Um, but two things. One is th the place to which it needs to be grown is not that enormous. We give $400 million a year to ballet companies or dance companies uh, in the U.S. We give about a quarter of that to local news organizations. Um, and, and in terms of is that enough, uh, again, we're, we're on the front end of trying to build a movement that's going to take a generation or more that, that, that grows the philanthropy pie a lot. For journalism, because unless we think about these things as civic institutions, not commercial institutions, they won't exist. How much of a shoestring did you start on, Wendy? $3,000. Yeah. 
um, that I'd raised from a best friend, uh, an uncle, and a uh, college journalism uh, classmate. So yeah, I was lucky enough to have credit cards that I lived off of for about a year until we were able to raise uh, our first um, national grant, which was from the Servner Foundation, that really believed in the idea of journalism as part of a functioning democracy. They got that, even though they don't traditionally uh, fund news organizations. Um, I want to I want to offer a counter to the idea that there's not enough phil- philanthropic support. Um, no, there's not enough yet, right? I think we're still in the process of making the case uh, to communities that have traditionally just either subscribed or not subscribed um, of our worth and our value and the, what it costs to do this kind of work and practice economic justice. Um, there's money enough for um, for everyone. And for everything, and so I don't definitely don't want to position it as like the ballet or news. Although if I like had to pick, probably would be news. Um, but uh, institutions across uh, America find money for what they want to find money for. We've just got to make the argument that it needs to be news. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's definitely not. Either, and and the, anytime we use the arts analogy, it's it's controversial because people sometimes think it's either or. That couldn't be farther from the case we're making, right? Is it's just not very big. Is 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 the point? Yeah, I, th- I think part of the dilemma is the idea of nonprofit journalism is new enough that for many people who might be generous about this, it never even crosses their mind that this is something that they could fund. Um, you know, I I occasionally have to enter city side in you know, certain databases, you know, for philanthropy. And, you know, they ask you, what category are you? And there is never a category for journalism. Never, ever, ever. Um, You know, it's, you know, community services or democracy or whatever. Yes. We should be our own category. (laughs) And, well, and and it is a growing, I mean, it's a growing space, right? You have um, institutions, the Institute for Nonprofit News Organizations and others. So there is a... You say growing community of nonprofits. Is that a fair way? I mean, it seems you you three all know each other, and I know that there are others. So, um, is that the kind of thing that uh, collectively, I guess, movements are being made to try and effectively change the philanthropic world? You know, come come to our table. I think it's it's the only um, it's the only space in local news that's growing at all. Mm. Yeah. Uh, is, is the, the nonprofit space. Everything else is shrinking, um, you know, perplexingly quickly. And so it's, it, now the challenge is it comes from a small base, which was for the most part only started 15 years ago, but from a, a growth rate standpoint, it's where all the growth is in local news. Yeah. I, I think we're still at the stage where we were very successful at talking to each other and we all know each other, um, I think there's still an enormous work of evangelism that needs to be done. Um, and, you know, certainly on, you know, my, on our, in our organization, we often talk about you know, kind of our, our first, you know, task is to get people to recognize the crisis and that they can do something about it. And if, if some of that money then goes to us, that's great. But I'm equally happy. I, I had somebody write today saying, you know, we're, we're moving out of the area. So, you know, please, uh, you know, cancel my recurring donation. Um, I'm going to give to, 
the, the news organization and the place I, I'm, I live now. And I wrote to him, I said, I think that's great. We need more people like you. Yeah. Um, just to piggyback off that a little bit, because, you know, I mean, most people probably think, yes, nonprofit, you know, news, one of the easiest ways I can get involved is, is money. But I'm curious, what, if any, are other ways that the public can or should be getting involved with your organizations? Subscribe to our newsletters, read our sites, tell people about it, care about the news. You know, I, I think those are all great ways to start. Well, and I, I think in, in, engage, engage with us in this discussion of the difference between um, uh, c- commercial and civic intent, right? Just be, because, I mean, to, to Lance's earlier point, this is, this is a, a category of philanthropy that's only about a generation old, which is kind of a uh, an eye blink in the you know in the the the, the grand spectrum of, of philanthropy. And uh, a generation ago, newspapers were more concerned about being regulated as monopolies than they were about their existential sort of bona fides. And so. Just engaging in this discussion about public good, about public interest, about civic intent is uh, almost bigger than money. They can also feed us tips. We love tips as as journalists, yes. Uh, Well, so maybe playing off that on a different angle, um, how is nonprofit journalism dealing with general distrust um, with news, right? Like, you know, the, the news industry has taken certainly some blows recently. Um, how is nonprofit potentially approaching that issue of trust with the public differently? Um, I mean, I'll pass it to, to Wendy first. If, if Yeah, I think it's, I think it's what, what John said. I'm going to use this, this phrase, community cartilage. I've written that down. Um, I think because we are beginning as a public good, um, that that builds some trust in inherent inherently you know we're in communities we're locally control controlled so there's not a Gannett or Alden steering Sinclair um, calling the shots those are being those decisions editorial decisions are being made um, locally and I think that we demonstrated in who we write for um, and how we how we approach stories I know that um, People here often, uh, especially when we think about our bearing witness part of our mission, um, we really are writing the first draft of history and making sure that that draft is complete and comprehensive. And people like seeing themselves, you know, online in our products. Um, and I think that's some of the way that we we build that trust. I also think that a lot of the the, the distrust of the news focuses maybe more on a, on a national level. And people don't see us as the media. Do you know what I mean? Like that's that's MLK fifty. That's not NBC, CNN, Fox News. Yeah. Yeah, I I think if you look at the data, what Wendy just said is is borne out. Um, local news is generally more trusted than national news, and it's really interesting that malevolent actors are exploiting that. Um, you know, there's a, you probably know Dave, and certainly Wendy and John will be familiar with this. There's a wave of what are called pink slime uh, local news sites, um, which are um, from dark money contributors. Most of them are on the right of the political spectrum, though there are 
you know, so-called progressive examples of this as well. But, you know, they, they've taken on this idea that if you're called, you know, the, you know, the Michigan, you know, whatever, clarion, yeah. um, people say, oh, it's, it's a local site for me as a Michigander. And it's, it's slime. It's, it's propaganda. It's, you know, they'll do some press releases so it looks like it's, it's real. But, you know, what they're trying to feed you is, you know, constant um, junk from, you know, a local representative on their side of the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, part of our task, you know, particularly in the sort of nonprofit journalism we're doing is to fight against that wave as well. Um, I got one question, which is uh, very specific. Uh, I'll pass it to you, Lance. Um, uh, is it possible for small neighborhood for-profit papers to transition to nonprofits? We did it. <laughs> tell, tell, uh, I yeah. don't. Maybe not. Can you give us the the short version? Yeah. Of that? Short short version is when we started Berkeley Side, almost identically the same time as Texas Tribune. We started as a for-profit. Um, uh, I, I tell people we were. Actually, we were either a for-profit without the profits or we were a non-profit without the tax um, <laughs> advantages. Um, and anyway, we realized our true identity. And, and you know, three years ago, we decided the right path for us ahead was to convert. So we went through the process of converting. And it was pretty straightforward. Um, there's a really good example, the, the Salt Lake Tribune, the major newspaper in Salt Lake City, um, converted from for-profit to non-profit last year as well. So there aren't many examples of it, but people are doing it. Um, this is a question for John, um, but uh, any of you can chime in. Um, uh, I think this person wants just a little bit more on why you think the commercial diverse model isn't viable. What, what is, the, what is the, com- the, the problem with the commercial model as it stands right now? Why is it sort of, um, to, to maybe exaggerate the question, doomed? Sure. Well, I mean, the, the, the fundamental premise on which the local news business has been um, uh, placed for 150 years is that a local newspaper is a really singularly good advertising delivery vehicle. It's the whole deal. Um, you know, some have more subscribers than fewer. Some some have you know, other ancillary businesses, printing, whatever. But the, the, the real shtick was there is no um, there's no more effective vehicle than something that leverages place as the kind of um, organizing principle around renting an audience to uh, retailers, retailers or, or, or commercial businesses. Um, along comes Facebook and Google that logic gets turned completely on its head. And so newspapers become really crummy competitors at organizing audiences you can rent. And that happens over the course of a decade. And so kind of once that problem, once you've got that problem, it kind of doesn't matter what your second biggest problem is. Uh, And that's what we've seen in newspapers over the last 20 years is, they were kind of like, oh, crap, we've got a problem. We're going to try to fix it by doing this, that, and the other thing. Your problem was so existential and fundamental that you're wasting your time if 
what you actually are trying to do is serve civic good as opposed to just keep the lights on uh, commercially. Okay. Um, so another question, maybe, again, tipping off of that, um, do you think that focusing, and again, this is open for anybody, do you think focusing on, on such specific topics and local issues um, actually restricts the growth of nonprofit? This person is asking about how does nonprofit journalism operate in a national or international sense? Wendy and I are involved in, in local journalism. There are some fantastic um, nonprofit journalism organizations doing other things. I Wendy mentioned she works with ProPublica, which um, really is doing more investigative journalism at all sorts of levels, on national issues, on local issues, on you know, sectoral issues that are cross-cutting, um, do, doing extraordinary work. Um, there's something like the Marshall Project, which is focused on criminal justice issues. There's Chalkbeat, which is focused on education. Um, so you see a lot of different things. I mean, our interest, our choice has been to look at, at local news, but you can see some really good models um, pursuing either subject-based or regional or even national work, too. Um, this is a question I'll... I'll, I'll... Pose it to Wendy, but again, I uh, would love for other folks to jump in, which is, do you think there are lessons that the commercial media can learn from you or from, again, local nonprofits? What, what do you think um, the larger journalism community or industry is learning from you or should they learn from you? Uh, I think they can and do learn a lot of things, um, including that it's possible to build um, racially diverse newsrooms and do great work. Um, all of our newsroom leaders are women, and three of the four are women of color. So I think that they're they're watching us do that. Um, I also think uh, hopefully they're seeing the value of going deep and maybe not going as wide. Um, you know, we have the luxury of being able to specialize in, in certain things, and I don't envy the uh, the newsroom that has to do sports and features and restaurant reviews and movie reviews. You know, we're focused very specifically on local news. Um, and hopefully they're seeing the value, uh, in that. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear though from John and Lance about what the commercial side is learning from us. Our status as a nonprofit is really important to us because it gives us the opportunity to, you know, raise philanthropic funds to be very mission-driven at that, that the core of who we are. Um, a business format isn't a strategy, and I, I think the same is true for for-profit um, papers. Um, you know, I, I hope we all end up doing well in a in a mixed um, you know, in a mixed environment. Um, I don't want to see for-profit newspapers vanish by any stretch of the imagination. Um, you know, so I, I hope we, we can all find ways to thrive. What I hope our work and, and work of others demonstrates is that doing, it's easy to make fun of sort of capital J journalism, but doing real journalism, you know, providing things that people really need in their 
daily lives, the information that matters to them through you know, good reporting by um, you know, really being tigerish at you know, following a story, following a lead. Um, all of those things really matter to people. And we have found when you provide that, people are really interested in reading it. Um, I think there's, in, in many circles, I encounter a sort of defeatism. Well, nobody's really interested in you know, local news anymore. You know, there, there's so many ways to entertain yourself. Why would anyone read about local issues? I think when people really do local well, um, it is something that people care about. They care about it more than they care about broad sort of regional things that they don't feel so connected to. When it's about the development down the street or the hospital group that is serving you or about your schools, people will read that. And, and if, if, if you have readers, whether you're a nonprofit or a for-profit, you can probably find a way to make that a business model. Um, so one thing that, Lance, that you just kind of touched on is this idea of getting people excited about the news or interested in the news, which, again, some might say that that has been a dwindling kind of kind of vibe. Um, and, and, and Lance and Wendy, um, you know, I, I know your backgrounds in, in media and journalism, how you ended up here. I mean, John, I'm, I'm hoping maybe you can speak a little bit to how you got interested in this space. Like, what is it that you thought one day, oh, you know what, I'm going to start the, uh, a, a very large nonprofit uh, that covers the state of Texas. And then again, from there, from the American Journalism Project, what, what, what was the magnet? Yeah, that was not in the middle-aged uh, uh, male venture capitalist <laughs> life plan. Sure you that. Uh, the, what, how, how that got kicked off was uh, I was serving as managing partner of our venture firm. We were reassessing our media investment strategy. Uh, this was about the time that the first distressed newspaper assets were coming on the market, and I got involved in a couple of three meetings where – my conclusion was, holy cow, um, these are obviously terrible businesses uh, that are going to get terribler. <laughs> but what does that mean for uh, everything that's going to get left out, everything that's in the, the interstices of the, the profit and loss statement? And so, uh, unfortunately, that's the one thing we've been really right about over the last 12 or 13 years is – it's gotten worse faster. We didn't anticipate Twitter. We didn't an- anticipate the rapidity even of mobile. We didn't anticipate uh, the, the, the takeover of um, these uh, revenue streams by Google and Facebook. We just thought it looked kind of crappy on its face. Uh, and it's been worse. And so where, whereas Lance is very diplomatic and saying we hope everybody – uh, works. I'm not. I, I'm just like, these things are going to fail. Uh, and it's just a matter of how fast and how much are they going to take us down with them because they're going to fail. Okay. All right. And, um, and again, this is more of like a, uh, a question. It's for Wendy. I mean, you mentioned, you know, when you started, you had $3,000, which, you know, from where you are now, and I, I know a little bit of the story of MMLK 50. I mean, that's like there's a there's a novel in there, um, and we don't have time for that. But I I am curious to know like uh, f- what do you take out of that origin story, um, and and if you were you know w- what are the lessons of of hindsight um, that other people should keep in mind as as they maybe venture into the space? Yeah, the, the hindsight is a book. Like 
the origin story is a book, but the hindsight is a book too. Um, it was probably not the best idea to start with so little funding because it's meant that uh, it's meant it's meant incredible uh, personal sacrifice for me that I don't think uh, having the amount of available credit that I did should be the uh, the bar to start an to start a newsroom. That just can't be how we bring people into this space. Uh, I think it would be important to start with a co-founder a co that's focused on the business side, right? I know journalism. I have run newsrooms. I can run a newsroom. Um, there's a lot of things that I'm learning about the business side uh, that it would have been better to have someone on board day one thinking about that um, as well. I think talent development is something that I never anticipated would take as much time as it has. Um, and then I think the importance of relationships and tapping into networks. You mentioned the Institute for Nonprofit News. Uh, Lion, local independent online uh, newsrooms is another. Um, getting into cohorts like the one I'm with AJP or, or Emerson, those are really important to have those networks. Um, so you can DM Lance and say, okay, this is what's going on help me figure this out. And so you're not reinventing the wheel, but you're really leaning on the community that we're building. Yeah. We, we get, I, I, it's honestly every week someone is in touch with us, not just from the U S I mean, from all over the world saying, I want to do something like this. And we're, you know, together with my co-founders, we're generally very generous with, with giving time. And very often um, people, the first thing they say is, oh, you know, trying to figure out how to do the journalism and things like that. And of course, you need to have a view of what kind of journalism you want to do and, you know, a, a clear vision on that. But, you know, as Wendy said, you need to have at least someone um, starting out who actually is going to care about how are we going to make this sustainable and how are we going to keep this going and fund it. Um, the journalism, because since most of the people that do this come from journalism, the journalism is the easy part. Figuring out how to pay for the journalism is the tough part. And, and uh, I, again, I'm not trying to put anybody on the spot, but that kind of does bring full circle uh, back to you, John, um, in terms of what do you think are the tools or tricks or strategies that nonprofits are going to have to use and leverage uh, in order to make this sustainable? Well, that's, I mean, to, to, to use Wendy, that's, there's a book there too. Um, the, 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 I think the, the very short answer is nonprofits need to think about um, being nonprofit as a tax status and run themselves like a business as much as they can, but at the same time um, think of themselves as civic institutions. And so what that means is management of these things has to be really damn good, right? Because to do all that uh, in, 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 in from one view is difficult, but, but that's what's being called upon is the, the kind of psychic fabric or the emotional fabric, the psycho-emotional fabric to be public service, but the delivery mechanism to be, no shit, competitive commercially uh, in, in, a, in a way that any venture-backed company would be. And so, as I said, that's not easy, but that's what we're asking folks like Lance and Wendy to do. Is that, Lance and Wendy, is that 
difficult? I mean, like, yeah, I, I'm sort of hearing like almost a bipolar of, you know, the civics, but also the, you know, management side, which again, that, that business management side historically, as we, you know, relied on advertising and, you know, someone in the comments mentioned that, you know, local papers here, I, I, I don't remember the name, so I won't try and name them, are, are taking cigarette ads again. And, you know, is that, you know, I, and I'm, again, I assume a local nonprofit wouldn't take cigarette ads maybe. Um, so how, how do you thread that needle? Um, you know, you're, you're trying to make this work have the impact, but also, you know, be able to have a roof over your head at the end of the day. How, how, how does this work? Some choices are easy. We're not going to take cigarettes. That, that's, <laughs> right. that's a really easy one. <laughs> it's much tougher. You know, one of the largest companies in the area we, we work in is Chevron, um, which is also one of the biggest despoilers of the earth. You know, should we take money from Chevron? Um, I'm, I don't know what the answer is. That, that's something we debate. Um, and, uh, you know, so it isn't easy to be both mission-driven and to have, you know, equity and democracy at the core of, of what you do and to also be commercially minded. There sometimes are tough choices you have to make, but, um, you know, we've built up an organization, you know, partly with the help, you know, what, what AJP does is, you know, John and, and the people at AJP aren't funding Wendy or my journalists. They're funding us hiring a development director, a head of sponsorship, a head of audience, all the things that will keep it sustainable. And if you get the right people and, ha- and everyone is aligned around that mission, you can wrestle with some of those conflicts. Um, so there's a question for all three of you, um, which is, and, and, and this one, I'm thinking specifically about the three of you and your projects that you, you told us about, which is, you know, uh, what should people know about your vision for the next, let's say, 12 months, right? From, from now in 12 months, what are you focusing on? What do you, where do you hope to grow? Um, maybe we'll, we'll start with, uh, with John and then Wendy and then Lance. John? Sure. Um, I, I don't know that there's anything all that um, evocative about the next 12 months. God knows the last 12 months have been quite something. Um, but but I think what we're focused on is really continuing to beat this drum that in every community there needs to be an organization which is a civic asset focused on the, the uh, information news needs of the community. And so we're just going to keep beating that that drum this year, next year, year after. Uh, Wendy? Yeah. So um, when people ask me what my goal is, um, my long-term goal is world domination. Um, if I had to phrase it more, as I as to frame it more diplomatically, it would be dismantle the status quo where it's not in service of the most vulnerable people. And so we're going to continue to do that over the next year. We're going to be adding three new full-time people. In the next couple of months, I'm looking at my calendar over here. Um, and then we're hoping to add a full-time business side hire. We've got to, we've been kind of cobbling that together with contractors and part of my time. Um, we're going to get somebody on board that can com- be completely devoted to that. It's critical for our next stage of growth. Um, a year doesn't seem very long. Um, 16 months ago, we were eight people. We're now 22 people. Um, wow. We intend to keep, keep growing. Um, we think there's a real opportunity to do that, um, you know, particularly for the people in the room here, you know, living and working in the Bay Area, we have this extraordinary um, situation where you know, Memphis 
is, you know, it's, it's a big city, but there is a lot of poverty and a lot of inequity in a place like Memphis in, in particular. The Bay Area on the whole, although there's poverty and inequity for sure in the Bay Area, the Bay Area is one of the wealthiest regions in the world. And yet even here, all around us, there are places that are virtual new, news deserts. And so, you know, over the next year, next few years, what we want to do is take what we've learned with Berkeley side, with the Oakland side, and do it in more places, you know, provide our civic journalism to places that currently don't have any. And that's, that's a really big challenge. Um, we are coming close to a, a, an end here, um, and hopefully people have gotten an insight into you know, what you're doing and thinking. I, I want to give each of you uh, one more opportunity just to sort of tell the audience that's here in, um, you know, in person or online, um, what do you think is a, is a key takeaway for them to understand about this space? Uh, you know, somebody who for the first time is thinking, oh yeah, maybe, <clears throat> maybe there's a, a, a local nonprofit solution to this or, or what, should, what do you think are the, uh, is the key takeaway that they should, they, they should go home and, and think about and mull over the weekend? Um, and this time we'll, we'll actually go the reverse. So, uh, well, actually, since we're, since you're here in person, maybe we'll, we'll end with you, Lance, if that's all right. Um, uh, Wendy, why don't, why don't you start? What, what do you think is a, is a key takeaway for everybody? Uh, I think it's a lot of what we've said before, you know, to recognize news, um, as a civic asset, uh, to ask more of your journalism organizations, whether those, uh, for-profit media or nonprofit media in your, your market to be smart news consumers. Um, understand that this is a relationship and uh, a two-way relationship that we want to hear from you and meet your information needs. Um, and that particularly as nonprofit newsroom, that that is our, that is our uh, reason for being. Um, like John said, we're not here to, uh, to make money, although we are going to be business-minded, um, but that we need to fulfill our role as a, as a, as a public good. John? Well, what, one thing uh, that I become fond of, I, I, I wish I remember who had fed this to me because it's certainly not original. As a philanthropist, capital P or small p, whether it's as a foundation or you're trying to figure out where to give your charitable allocation at the end of the year, what, whatever your big deal is, if your big deal is education, if your big deal is, in, is climate or voting rights, I think we can make a, a really strong argument that your second biggest deal ought to be journalism. And that, that without sort of the, the common fact set that local journalism provides, it makes you a lot, uh, it makes it a lot harder for you as a big P or small P philanthropist to do your work. And so that, that'd be my pitch. And Lance. I, I think what Wendy and John said is is fantastic. I, I would just encourage people, um, find uh, a nonprofit newsroom whose work um, connects with you and support them. Uh, it, it's very, very simple. Um, you know, and, you know, John said, you know, maybe you care about education, maybe you care about climate. Those are both areas where they're fantastic nonprofit newsrooms. So, you know, if those are your concerns, you know, give to Grist, give to Inside Climate, uh, you know, give to Chalkbeat, give to um, EdSource. You know, there, there are people doing great work in almost any area you can think of, as well as, you know, obviously my passion is local. Um, you know, in the Bay Area, I mean, we're 
pretty big. Um, uh, but there, you know, in, in our little world, we're pretty big. But there are um, smaller newsrooms in all sorts of places in Northern California doing really great work as nonprofit newsrooms. And so you, you'll find something. Thank you. Uh, those are all, I co-sign all three of those uh, thoughts. Um, and unfortunately, we are out of time, although uh, we probably could have gone longer, but we've got several book ideas, so that's good. Um, and I want to thank uh, John Thornton, Wendy Thomas, Lance Noble. Uh, thank you, all three of you, for uh, bringing your time and expertise um, and your passion. Um, I also want to thank the audience um, and everybody who is watching online. Uh, the video, uh, all of this will be available as a video and a podcast on the club's website at www.commonwealthclub.org. And I am David Cohn, and this meeting of the Commonwealth Club is now adjourned. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please consider supporting our work and help us bring 500 programs a year to listeners like you. Go to commonwealthclub.org donate. Think your way around the world with our travel programs to exciting domestic and international destinations. And when you're in the Bay Area, please join us live at our events. Thank you for listening and for your support. Thank you.